Thank you, worship team. It's kind of a, a smaller team this week, and we're looking for some sopranos. I volunteered, but was, for, well, let's just say I wasn't accepted. <clears throat> Dane has got a great ear for music, and I have a great voice for not music. Uh, today I'm going to start with a little um, story time, not story time, but Bible time in Hosea. It is a, um, there's a very good book from the Old Testament. And I want to take a time to do this, take a time to talk about the, the Old Testament for uh, some weeks on Hosea because it's so appropriate for what's going on in our country today, it so mirrors what's going on in our country. But from the biblical standpoint, Hosea is almost the Old Testament version of the Gospel of John, uh, as opposed to any other book in the Old Testament. It is a story of God's love and compassion and concern, and of the of the way that he will work and the way he would move to see that people get a clear picture, his people get a clear picture of what he thinks, how he wants us to behave, how he wants us to act. It's just a beautiful pageant. And it's kind of like uh, the story, the play is going on, and, and God is represented by Hosea. Hosea's name similar to Joseph, means uh, God is salvation. And Gomer, who he will marry, who God will lead him to marry, is representing us. In the text, is re he's, she's representing Israel as a people. We're always the bride of Christ, and Israel was the same thing. They, were, they knew that the, God the Father was their husband. So when it comes time to uh, tell the story, it's, it's a real story. It's representing real people. It is a real re re representation of the struggles that we have. The words are different. The times are different. The clothes are different. Uh, but you can't be like Thomas Jefferson who just cut out the verses he didn't like. Because... <laughs> They all connect. They are all very important. Today, uh, the greatest story in the Bible is Jesus, born a pauper, living a sinless life, dying by crucifixion on a Roman cross, buried in a borrowed tomb, resurrected on the third day, and now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he is interceding for us. He is a lawyer that we, we receive the gift of his representation by trusting him as our Savior and Lord. And I believe the second greatest story in the Bible is this story of Hosea and Gomer. And when I talk about, some of you last week thought, um, I'm not an elder, what do I need to listen to this stuff about elders for? Well, because there are people around you that will be elders, that are elders, and you're raising families, and you should be encouraging somebody that's in your family to be a leader. But we all should strive to be 
equal and to be qualified to be an elder, whether we're a man or a woman. We should all strive for that. Hmm. Now, a <clears throat> title is He Knows My Name. He knows my name. And guess what? He knows your name too. And that's why this is written. Some places here we can just take my name and put, put it in the place of Gomer. <laughs> long hair, I'd have long hair and big lips. But this book is a real story lived and told by a real prophet and a warning of judgment to the people of Israel and Judah. Anita reminded me last night that the government can take away our right, or so they're trying to do, to use a gas stove. But that just deflects us from the real thing they're trying to take away is our right to have a moral foundation for the lives we live and the government we have. Amen? All right. I'm looking to see if anybody's sleeping back there. But this is not always God's way. He, he has, Hosea had a situation that he had to live through. It was a very serious situation. And God said to him, Hosea, uh, you know, I want you to go find a woman and I want you to marry her. And she will have a propensity to sin. Uh, it doesn't, the language here doesn't connote that uh, Gomer is a prostitute. She has a propensity to sin. She has a propensity to commit adultery. And the first three chapters speak of this relationship between uh, Hosea and Gomer as if God and his people. And it's, it's talking about uh, the, the failure of Israel who had the word of God in scrolls and not to adhere to it. They knew, they heard, they could see but they had better things to do to quote them, not quote God. This is an object lesson that is really, really difficult. Well, it's not difficult. It's just serious. The key is, what is you're living on? He knows your name. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're doing. He knows if you're sleeping during my sermon. I don't have to tell him. But he wants us to be righteous and he wants us to act righteous and they were acting hypocritical and hypocritical is simply that they were acting righteous but they weren't doing righteous they were saying righteous but they weren't being righteous they were, we're not talking about alcoholism or uh, those types of things in Hosea we're talking about the people who shoved God to the back and became their own God they, they, they worshipped the Baals, I mean, it was a time in Israel, this is, uh, I'll get to this in a minute, hopefully quickly, but it was a time in Israel when there was a lot of prosperity and there was a lot of good things happening and there was no, essentially, wars going on. It was a time in Israel when everybody was happy. And like a reformed smoker or a recovered alcoholic, they would try to convince their neighbor, hey, we're having fun now, aren't we? But what about Nah, I don't worry about that. And they would go over and worship their false gods and, you know, pray to the false gods for agricultural success. And then it says, and 
Hosea, if I can just read uh, chapter 1 here, or verse 1. Verse 1 is, the word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Biri, during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Now, I know the story goes like, kind of, it goes like this. They had a king, you know, they said to God, we'd like to have a king because everybody else has a king. And he had a king, the first king was a, a man named Saul, and he failed. And the second king, God took special care in picking him out, and he picked out a man named David. And David had a son, and, and son Solomon was, you know, called the wisest man who's ever lived. And he was rich. I mean, he made, uh, there's nobody in our country, billionaires or whatever, that were as wealthy as Solomon in his time. And then Solomon had a son, Rehoboam, and Rehoboam uh, didn't listen and follow the directions of his father. Rehoboam came and said to all his friends, he said, guys, what should I do? Should I listen to the elders or should I go my own way? And they said, tell the elders to go away. Let's party. Let's have fun. Let's run the country ragged. They didn't really say that, but that's what they were going to do. And Rehoboam, as the king of Israel, was the one who led the split. And ten of the tribes went and made a new country. They had a civil war. The ten tribes split off from Judah because they wanted um, Rehoboam to follow God's leading. And they created what we call today, we define when we're talking about this period, Israel was the ten tribes that went, went away from Judah, went away from the capital in Jerusalem, and went established their own country. Clearly not God's will. In the south, there were two countries, Judah and Benjamin, that they were the little countries, but they had Jerusalem as their capital. And the rest of the time of the kings from about 850 B.C. to about 600, 592 B.C. Kings came to Israel and kings came to Judah and they were, most of the kings in Judah were relatively good kings. They followed God's will to a degree. Most of the kings in northern kingdom Israel were terrible sinners. Ahab, Ahab, the Arab. Oh, you don't remember that song. There were, there were lots of bad kings, and these kings made a mockery of God's word and God's plan. And a prophet king. prophet came, and he, his prophecy probably lasted at least 60 years until the southern kingdom was, or the northern kingdom was taken into captivity. And this uh, prophet, Hosea, he must have been a one fire-breathing, God-honoring man. I say fire-breathing because he put up with a lot, but he didn't pour out a lot. He lived a lot. When the going got tough, you can just see Hosea, he goes into his closet and says, Lord, 
can you make this a little bit easier? Can you make this kind of get, you know, where I can handle it, where it can go away? And he would say to Hosea, you know, uh, my strength is sufficient to you, which nobody ever wrote down until Paul did later on in the New Testament, but my strength is sufficient for you. And I just want to read uh, a little, it's different from what's on the screen there, but the things that were happening in the northern kingdom were spiritual decay and great moral absence. It was a huge personal individual problem. It is just like our society today. Sometimes we say, well, whatever they do in private doesn't, I don't care about that. I wish you would take that thought and just crush it in your mind and get rid of it. Because whatever they do in private, as we see now, comes to the fore in our public conversation, our public dialogue. We can't just ignore others because they do it in private. Because we're going to have to deal with it sooner or later. And we can't just ignore people and say, well, that, have thine own way. You're going to do what you're going to do. No, we have to talk. We have to give them a true picture of what the Word of God says. We have to give them insight. They may still go away from God, but it's our responsibility. We were just saying it. Glorify God in everything. Glorify God in my home. Glorify God with my mouth. When you see bad, call it bad. Amen? I think that's one of the toughest things in our society today. And one of the reasons that the moral foundation that we have had in the United States of America is crumbling. This is not a political message. This is a comparison between the northern kingdom of Israel, which was the bad king, which Hosea is preaching to, and the southern kingdom, which was not too far behind. Solzhenitsyn, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, a famous Russian author, came about 45 years ago and gave a commencement address at Harvard. And he said these words. He said to the students... He was trying to summarize the problem of his country by comparing America to Russia, his native country. He begins, no, I could not recommend your society in its present state as an ideal for transformation of ours. That's pretty cold. Through intense suffering, our country has now achieved a spiritual development of such intensity that the Western system in its present state of exhaustion, does not look attractive. He was saying, who would want to go there? Who would want to use that as a model for developing a society? After the suffering of decades of violence and oppression, the human soul longs for things higher, warmer, and purer than those offered by today's mass living habits. Introduced by the revolting invasion of publicity, by TV stupor, and by intolerable music. Well, praise the Lord, Dane's here. We don't have intolerable music when we come to worship. But there is a lot of intolerable music if you can listen to it. Solzhenitsyn continued, he said, We have turned our backs upon the Holy Spirit 
and embraced all that is material and and embraced all that is material with excessive and unwarranted zeal. 250 years ago, it would have seemed quite impossible in America that an individual could be granted boundless freedom simply for the satisfaction of his instincts or whims. Do we see that today? Yes, we sure do. Pornography, abortion, voyeurism, homosexuality, all of it. All of the glorified technological achievements of progress, including the conquest of space, do not redeem the 20th century moral poverty, which no one could imagine even as late as the 19th century. And Hosea spoke during the 7th and 8th centuries before Christ, and there was material prosperity, but there was a strong lack of moral and biblical value. It was killing their society. When Hosea prophesied, he, what he said was going to happen, had to happen. They had, they, Deuteronomy, God had said, if someone comes to you and says they're a prophet and they prophesy something, if it doesn't come true, kill him. <laughs> Pretty simple. You want to be a prophet? Yes, yeah, say you're a prophet. Okay, what's gonna, what are you going to tell us? So um, somebody comes and says, man, the Dow Jones is going to go over the hill. We're going to make millions. We're going to make thousands of millions. And it never happens. Kill him. Because he acted like a prophet, he spoke like a prophet, but he wasn't a prophet. He was representing, he was not representing God, he was representing himself. So what did, what did Hosea do? Hosea did two things. He said, uh, he read these verses. He said, first, I will punish the, God says to Hosea, I will punish the house of Jehu, who was the father really of uh, he and Rehoboam. Was at, he was after Rehoboam, but he was the father of the northern kingdom. And I will put an end to the, to the kingdom and the house of Israel. God had told Jehu to go into Samaria, which was the capital of the northern kingdom, and kill certain people. And he went into Samaria, and he killed certain people. And then he got blood taste in his mouth, and he killed a lot of people, everybody. And for that, God said, because he disobeyed my command... I will end the line of Jehu. I will punish the house of Jehu. And you can see that uh, when you read verse tw- um, Isaiah, tw- or not Isaiah, Second Kings, chapter six, or Second Kings, chapter fifteen. This points to the end of the line of Jehu, who was a ruling southern kingdom. That his demise is revealed in Second Kings fifteen. It would be the final punishment. And when this is such an important part of the Bible because when you see the northern kingdom of Israel and the ten tribes, and you see the southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin, the two tribes, they're always going back and forth and back and forth. And in the scripture, the Bible was written, I don't believe that Hosea was written as first. He's, one of the, he's the first of the twelve minor prophets. Not because they don't have a message, but because they're... Small, there's not a lot of words used in them. And so there was uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then we skip around that. We talk about Ruth a little bit. We go to uh, Isaiah. No, we don't go to Isaiah yet. There's uh, the rest of the historical books. There was Joshua and Judges and first uh, uh, Nehemiah, Ezra, Nehemiah. 
Esther, Job. And then we get the Psalms, which were written over a period of several, several hundred years, beginning in about 1100. David and others wrote the Psalms. And then the minor prophets and the major prophets, Isaiah, and then Jeremiah, and then Ezekiel. And then in, the, in that span of time, Hosea was written. Maybe not the first of the minor prophets, but maybe Amos was probably the first. Amos and Hosea, and etc. right on down the line. And at the end of the minor prophets is this little book called Malachi. And Malachi sets up the stage for what's going to happen in the New Testament. And then God goes silent for 350 or 400 years. But it's all a part of God's historical development of what he saw, what he created, how he worked through people. Almost 4,000 years. So God wiped out the house of Jehu. And then um, Hosea said, but I will have, God told Hosea, I will have compassion on Judah and deliver them by the Lord. And their God and will not deliver them by bow, sword, battle, horses, or horsemen. Second Kings 19 talks about this. There was a big battle, uh, a big army came and surrounded Syrians, surrounded Jerusalem, and they came to get uh, the king and all the glory and the jewels and everything like that. And God had told them that they were not going to be attacked. He was not going to ha- make them have to fight to win. And this was the example. They went to bed that night. The king that was outside uh, surrounding siege, laying siege to Jerusalem said, I'm going to destroy everybody, but if you give up now, I'll let you live. And the king said, the, the Judah king, Hezekiah said, give us a, a night or two to think about it. The next morning they got up and 185,000 Syrian bodies dead. Not a shot was fired. God showed that Hosea was a prophet and that Hosea told the truth. Um, let me just read a few more. <laughs> so the story continues. It talks about Hosea marries Gomer. I'm sure it was a joyous occasion. She gets pregnant. They have their first baby as a son. And the baby's name is Jezreel. God said name him Jezreel. And Jezreel is a name that can be... All right, Ron, turn off your phone. No, it's not Ron. He's looking at me like I heard him. I'm sorry, Ron. I didn't mean to say that. So the 185,000 were destroyed. And so the Gomer and Hosea had a baby, his name was, God said, name him Jezreel, for I will scatter my people. Jezreel is a, is a word in the Hebrew that can be uh, with inflection and little accent marks can be two words. One would be Jezreel, would mean God scatters. And the other could be Jezreel, that means God plants, sows, gathers, and sows. So they named the little boy Jezreel, and then Gomer got pregnant again. doesn't say if, da- if Hosea is a daddy, but God says for him to name him, so I think he was a daddy. Had a little girl and said, name her 
lo ruhama. And lo is a Hebrew uh, prefix. It means no. And ruhama means compassion or special treatment. Lo ruhama. I will not show compassion to Israel anymore. And it says, and after they had weaned Lo Ruhama, then she had another baby, and it was another little boy. God bless him. And then uh, the little boy, they named him Lo Ami. Lo, no, Ami. People. They are not my people. And later in Hosea, you see that God says, if they don't change their attitude, I am going to turn my face away from them like that. And I can't imagine anything being more fearful or more frightening for God say, I'm going to turn my face away from you. But Loami was not my people. And that's the first child, they, the children they had. He says uh, in verse 6, actually when verse 2, he talks the whole story and talks about it all the way down through verse 8. Name him Loami. You are not my people. So we have Hosea, whose name means salvation, similar to Joseph. We have Gomer, who has a propensity to sexual sin. We have Jezreel, God scatters, and Loruhama, not pitied, not loved. Loami, not my people. The The people of Israel have been unfaithful to God. Israel is played by Gomer, but it is the picture of the sacred love between a husband and his wife, and she will betray him. They were brought together by the hand of God. And we know what God says, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So you take that story and you say, oh, wow, what God is going to, you know, God's been tough on me, but he's never asked me to marry somebody that is going to be immoral. Sometimes we, we ask God and we sit and listen for God and we hear our stomach rumble and we think that's God. That's not God. Well, maybe God telling you you had too much pizza. But that's not God. There's a totally different God from God this or the story of Hosea, God creating a picture of Himself and Israel, and when He chose Israel, she was a virgin. She had a tendency inside of her to sin, and she would later prostitute herself to the false gods of the Canaanites. This is totally different from God and the church. The church was not pure when God created her, right? When we came in here the first time, we were not all pure. We were not forgiven. And God cleansed us with the power of his blood. There's power in the blood, wonderful power. God knows the heart of every individual. And he tells us in Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, the heart is more deceitful than all, el- more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test them, the mind even to give to each one according to the deeds he has done. The rewards come from God. Another picture. The theology in this passage, I mean, I know I'm lingering here maybe too long, but the theology is true. 
Israel split and divided, and God then began to punish the northern kingdom because they had been slaves to the Baals, the gods of the other people. They had done every stupid thing that they could think to do. And he told Judah, hey, don't think you're going to get away with that stuff you've been doing because you aren't perfect either. But the same thing happened in the church today. They were pure. They were clean. He spent 40 years in the desert with them, and they came out into a land that he gave them full of honey and fruit and all the good things of life. And here we are as a church. We're, we're mired in the world. We weren't even allowed to have the scriptures from the Old Testament. And then God sent his son. And we accepted his son. And we, we praise his son. And we glorify his name. And we celebrate his son. And then we do wrong again. So we can't point at them and say, how could they ever do that? That's, that's an amazing thing about God. He says it right here. How can, that's what they're going to do. They're going to run away from God. The first child was his son, Jezreel. Hosea might have thought God had made a mistake when he said name him Jezreel, which meant to scatter. We need to apply these prophecies in Hosea to ourselves. And if we ignore God, we are going to be in trouble. There's an old saying that goes, uh, Pastor Boyce said, when you run from God... You never get where you are, you are going, and you always pay your own bills. But when you go God's way, you always get where you are going, and he pays the bills. Jonah. Jonah is a perfect counterpoint to Hosea. Jonah was told to do something, and he didn't. And he didn't get the blessing because he didn't. Hosea was told to do something that was infinitely worse in my mind. Terrible. And he gets the blessing because he obeyed God. And God paid all the bills. Loruhama was the girl. Loami, once again, meaning not my people. And then God says, aren't the Jews the people of God? I mean, we may be thinking... I thought the Jews were the people of God, and this is a real good place to say something about Romans. Romans 8, uh, Romans 9, 10, 11 talk about the Israelites have been set aside. The church is not Israel. We're the church. (laughs) Israel has been set aside until one day God is going to call them back, and God is going to say, Ruhama, grace, mercy. And then God's going to say, Ami, you're my people. No more low Ami, but Ami. These are special people to God. And the promises that God makes, we find in verse 10 and chapter 10 of the uh, passage for chapter 1. The number, first thing he says, the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea. Which cannot be the number of the sons of Israel that will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And, and in the place where it is said to them, You are not my people, it will be said to them, You are the sons of the living God. 
and the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together, and they will appoint for themselves one leader, and they will go up from the land of they will go up from the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel, the gathering, the sowing, the planting. And then he begins chapter two. Say to your brothers, Ami, my people, and Ruhama, compassion and great. There are five promises to Israel in this passage. It starts with uh, one or verse ten, chapter ten a. There's a national increase in Israel. The number of the sons of Israel will be like the sands of the sea, which can't be counted. Then there's a promise of a national conversion. And in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, it will be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. There will be a national reunion, verse 11a, which says, and the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together. Not to become two separate nations, but to become the people of Israel again, the ones that God chose and called out of Egypt. There will be a national leadership. Verse 11b, it says, And they will appoint for themselves one leader. They will accept Christ. There will be no other leader. It will be the end of times when the judgment is coming. And then there will be one national restoration. Huge. After they've appointed their one leader, they will go up from the land. For great will be the day of Jezreel. God will gather instead of scatter. He will sow them in love, sow them in grace, sow them in truth. And they will not worship idols again. And they will do things the way God wanted them to do. That's the plan for Israel. It's not happened yet. It's down the road still, and we're, we're hoping, and we know that it will come. And so nations that spend their time telling God he's wrong, he's not going to do any of this, really don't know what they're talking about. Nations that defy God's plan to establish Israel again in the place where they've always called it home are toying with the Almighty. These promises that are here applied to the nation, and in, in, a, in a way they are also applicable to us today. Peter reminds us of this when he says in First uh, Peter 2, Say to my people, you are my people. You have my compassion and mercy, and I will sow you in the depths of my love. First Peter said that. You're Ami. Ruhama, Ruhama, I will give you love and grace and fill you. And when we see all that we have now today, the church has been around some 2,000 years, but it was 800 or 900 years before Christ came that he made these promises that are just as rich for us today as they were for the Jews in that day. The truth is, is not one of us has ever sinned so horribly that God would ignore our plea for forgiveness. We've talked about this on a number of occasions. He, people, <laughs> I 
I, you know what I worry about? I worry about somebody sits in here for 20 years or 25 years, enjoys the service, enjoys the music, but never actually gives their heart to Christ. They know the words, they hear the words. I stand in awe of God. He says, I will give you righteousness. And nobody can take it away from you. He wants us to have a mental picture of what happens when a person starts living for the lies of society. When we stop saying, I don't care what they do in private, how's that working out for our own nation? We know it's not working out for us. I've told you before, I believe that the problems we have now are because my generation enjoyed living the good life after a brutal war in Europe and in the South Pacific. And we wanted everyone in our family to have a better life and be better off than we were. And when somebody in the office said, hey, you can't read the Bible because it's, you know, that's a bunch of myths from the past, we listened and we didn't read the Bible. And we lose our kids to, the, to society. We lose our kids to things that don't matter. We lose our kids to stuff that will burn up and go away when Christ does come back. What was once done in private is now required studies in our public schools. Can you believe that? And it's seen on the streets in some cities as approved behavior. God knows your name. We know what he says about that. In the Bible, it says he knows the, hair, the number of the hairs on your head. In the Bible, it says your days are numbered by God. In the Bible, it says he knows when you will leave here and join him in heaven. It says in the Bible that he is with you forever and he will never leave you. Wow. And it says he knows our name and we should listen to him when he calls us. We should hear him, let him talk to us. And he speaks to us through his holy word. That's why we study it. And that's why I do uh, books like 1 Timothy or Colossians or Hosea or Malachi. You need to have the whole counsel of God to understand the little parts. You need to know that he's not given up on Israel yet. And we read it right here in Hosea. Then we flip over to Romans 9. Wow. Same thing happens. God, pretty continuous. And I just love it when a young person, a young man in particular, a young woman, and or somebody, a, a teenager. I was a high school a pastor one time, and I had, I don't know, 24 or 25 high school students in our class. And when I started them out, I started them out, and I gave them a notebook and a syllabus. <laughs> they don't do that in... Sunday school anymore with students. And I gave them an encouragement that if they did the lessons and they participated, we would have a special night out. I would buy. And we did. The group got smaller because that was work. You have to read the scripture, answer the questions. 
I had a couple of boys in that group. Two of them were part of the pastor's family. One of them was very good, straight up, you know, always doing the right thing, saying the right thing, writing the right thing. He turned out to be a youth pastor in Colorado. And the other one, he was just, he was one of those kind of kids that I want that guy to work for me when he grows up. He was everywhere. You didn't have to wonder what he was thinking because he was living it out. <laughs> he turned out to be a great businessman in construction. God knew what was going to happen with these boys. And he said, just give them the word. Both of them are well-versed in the word. Both of them have had difficult life. But when God says he wants to show you compassion, it means his loving kindness will never cease. He knows your name. And I just want to ask some couple questions, but I'll make it brief because I know that I've always already taken the worship team's time. But the worship team can come back. Was he there when you were born? Was he there as you grew up? Was he there when you made mistakes? And you made them, we all know that we did. Is he quietly listening for you today to say, Lord, forgive me for this. Is he quietly waiting for you to thank him again for being there, for knowing your name, for knowing who you are, and doing whatever it took to keep you on the narrow path? The narrow path. The narrow path only runs one way. No stop signs. It just points to heaven. Because he knows your name and he's saying, Ron, come on. Bob, come on. Yvonne, come on. He wants us to be with him forever. And Revelation says he even has a new name for us. <laughs> Isn't that exciting? Call on him today. Trust him. Love him. He's the closest thing we ever have to anybody being our friend, our brother, our Savior. And I think um, this is where I say, will you stand with me and let's just stand together in awe of our great King. Thank you.